I want you to think what the world would look like if we all knew how to resolve conflict according to God's plan. Like, what world would look like if people could sit down, discuss, and resolve conflict? What would the Middle East look like? What would Washington, D.C. look like? What would your family look like? What would your friends look like, your circle? What would your marriage look like? I believe all those things are possible. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to The Well here at STSA, where we are in part four of a series called Relationship Hacks, where as you see up there on the screen, because starting relationships is easy, but fixing them is not. So what we're doing here in this series is each week we are looking at a different relationship hack or a way that we can solve some of the most common problems that exist in relationships. Because as I said, starting is always easier than fixing, and this applies in everything in life. If I have a car in front of me, I know how to start it. What happens when something goes wrong and the sound, I, I don't know what to do to fix it, but I know how to start it. Give me a lawnmower. I can keep on pulling. I can start the lawnmower, but when something isn't cutting right, I don't know how to fix it, and relationships are no different. Most of us are good at starting relationships. We know how to introduce ourselves. We know how to become acquaintances. We know how to reach a certain level of friendship, but what happens when someone says something a little bit uncomfortable or it gets a little awkward after that trip together or remember at thanksgiving when something happened and that's when all of a sudden when things get awkward and we don't know what to do and when the relationship gets strained that's oftentimes when the wheels start to fall off that's when some of us we start to do the things by nature by instinct the very opposite of what we should be doing that's when we start to do, go to the guilt and the shame and the manipulation. Or some of us are more on the passive-aggressive side. Some of us are on the aggressive-aggressive side, okay, where we just yell and try to force our way. But the bottom line is what we end up doing is usually the things that we hate done to us. And it's usually the thing that pushes us further and further away, yet somehow it's our, our go-to move when relationships get strained. So what we're looking at, like I said, and this series is four relationship hacks. We've covered the first two over the past two weeks. If you missed any of those, please be sure to get caught up. Go to our YouTube page and get caught up there. And what we are each week, each solution builds. I shouldn't say builds. I thought I was to say it. Each solution, think of it like if I have like my phone recently, my phone has been acting up. And as some people who are actually I've been talking to and my phone just kind of decides it wants to restart. So I decided... Okay, that there's certain things I want to do to fix the phone. And my first thought is my phone keeps restarting in the middle of a phone call. So I just want to open the window and throw it out the window. That's what I want to do. But you don't start by opening the window and throwing it out the window. You start by reboot, you know, update the software, go to the, the you fix I broke or whatever it's called, little shop guy, okay, who talks a mile a minute or whatever it is. And then if none of those work, you open the window and you throw it out and things get solved na na magically that way. Relationships are the same way. Relationships, okay, this is our theme verse. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Read this with me all together. It says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So that if it is possible, as much as depends on you. So we started in the beginning with a certain relationship hack. And if that worked, great. Series done for you. If it worked after the first, the, the, the first solution and your relationship is reconciled, you're done. But if number one doesn't work, 
then maybe we got to try step two because it's as much as depends on you if it is possible. So I tried one, doesn't work. I got to try two. Now, if two doesn't work, I got to try three. And each step goes a little bit deeper. And the hope is you won't have to do it. But if you do, we said in the very beginning of our series, remember, our goal isn't necessarily reconciliation, but our goal is no regrets. That's our goal. And the only way you get to know regrets is you've tried every possible means. So one didn't work, I tried two. Two didn't work, I tried three. Three tried, didn't work, I tried four. Only way to get to no regrets is do whatever is possible as much as depends on us. So let's recap our first two real quick. Relationship hack number one was I will come back to, I will not get back at. I will come back to, I will not get back at. I will come back to the person, not get back at the person. So what we said here, this was a couple weeks ago, is that because we are followers of Jesus Christ, and because we want to do what he commanded us to do and what he did with us, then revenge, retribution, payback, that's off the table. That's no more an option. That's not what I'm aiming for. I want it because that's why we do the passive aggressive. That's why we do the manipulation. That's why we do the guilt and the shame because we want them to feel it. We want them to feel what they did to us. But hey, I will not get back at the person. I will come back to them not get back at them, because isn't that what our Savior did for us? Isn't that exactly what he did? God sent his only begotten Son into the world, not to get us back, but to get us to come back. So our guiding question for this week, if you remember, was we asked ourselves, when we're looking at that person that we want to get back at, we asked ourselves the question, is our Heavenly Father, do you think your Heavenly Father wants revenge on that person? Do you think your Heavenly Father is angry at them? Do you think your heavenly father wants to give him the business the way you do? Or do you think your heavenly father wants to come back to them? That was relationship hack number one. Relationship hack number two, we talked about last week, which is I will own my slice of the blame pie. I will own my slice of the blame pie. Because until I do, I am, in Jesus' words, I am a hypocrite. Because if I am waiting for the other person to do that which I am not willing to do myself, then I'm a hypocrite because I'm waiting for them to own up to their mistake. I'm waiting for them to apologize for what they did. I'm waiting for them to say they made a mistake. Well, if I'm not willing to do that myself, then I'm a hypocrite and there's no other way about it. And if you remember what we talked about last week, we talked about that verse where Jesus talked about remove the plank from your own eye so that you can then see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And I made a big deal about that see clearly so the reason why you need to own your slice of the pie and admit your fault is not so that you can be the better man or the better woman. It's not that you can say, look at me, I did this. It's because until you do, you can't see clearly. You're misreading the whole situation because you got this big old plank in your eye and obviously you can't see clearly. Just this past week, I had a little situation with one of my children, the girl, it's always the girl. Not always the girl, but me and, and my daughter are very similar personalities. Okay, if you guys remember, like the colored personality type, the temperaments are both reds. Okay, so reds love, but they, yeah. So we had a little situation, and it was so minor. All of our fights are so minor. Like if you write it on a piece of paper, it's so minor. But it escalates quick. Red on red crime escalates quick. And because the reason it escalated so quick is because in my view, she was disrespectful. And I don't deal well with disrespect. So we were upset. And we were... And then I said, you know what? 
Like, this is the worst part. I mean, people ask me, what, what, what's the best part of being a priest? Let me tell you the worst part of being a priest. is when you preach something on Sunday, and then you have to apply it on Monday. That's the worst. So I said, okay, you know what? Relationship hacks, I'm preaching this stuff. I might as well try it and see if it works. So I tried it. I said, okay, you know what? Where am I at fault here? I said, God, show me my fault. And God did. He showed me that in the situation where she was clearly at fault, he showed me that I went from zero to 60 in 2.2 seconds. The situation, she was at fault, but I escalated from zero to 60, like pedal to the metal, and I went too fast to a too high degree of consequences and the yelling and all that kind of stuff. So what I realized is, you know what? I can imagine that that's, that's, like, that's not good. I shouldn't, I shouldn't go that fast. And once I said that, believe me, once I said it, it was like St. Paul, the scales fell off. And I said, I wonder how that made her feel. And I saw how it made her feel. It made her feel like she was disrespected. And all of a sudden, I, I could see it clearly. Before that, she shouldn't, did she disrespect? And all that stuff is true. But once I own my slice of the pie, I said, you know what? She's exactly like me and she hates being disrespected too. So she must feel that way. So I was able to go to her and explain to her, I realized I did this wrong and this was my mistake. And I'm telling you, it's as if it was exactly scripted, but like I, like I said, is that once I was able to do that, once I, remember last week, remember I told you that the advice, what is the one thing that is invincible? It makes you invincible when it comes to relationship. What one virtue makes you invincible? You will never lose if you have the virtue of humility. Remember I told you my football coach, get low, get low, get low, the one who gets low. Once I was able to say, you know what? I was at fault here. I made a mistake. Then all of a sudden, she said the same thing because that's what humility does. When you own your slice, it unlocks doors that had been locked before. And once I was able to remove the plank, I was able to see clearly, apologize, and then she was able to see clearly as well. And luckily, we're back to on speaking terms. Okay, for now. Okay, for now, but the day is young, shall we say. So those are the first two relationship hacks. That was a recap. Number one, I will come back to, not get back at. I will come back to, not get back at. That worked. You came back to. You're done. You graduated. You don't need to listen to the rest of the series. Didn't work. You weren't able to come back to the person. There's something more there. Then you got number two. Own your slice of the pie and see where it is that you were at fault. And then some of you are sitting there and saying, I can't even do that. I still don't think I'm at fault. They're 100% at fault. They did, they did, they did. If that's you... We're going to go to relationship hack number three. And I'm going to tell you right off, the relation, right off the bat, relationship hack number three. On one hand will be the easiest of them all. But on the other hand will be the hardest of them all. It'll be the easiest because it won't require you to go talk to the other person at all. It won't require you to apologize or say you're sorry. You don't have to see them at all. But you have to do why it's the hardest. Because you have to go to a deep place on the inside. And you may have to undo something that you've been doing for several years. Relationship hack number three says this, I will give up my old stories and replace them with generous explanations. I will give up my old stories and replace them with generous explanations. We said in the very beginning that, like I said, starting relationships, easy, fixing is hard. We tend to do the opposite of what we know we're supposed to do. And we know we're not supposed to do it, and we can tell ourselves, don't do this, and we can tell ourselves, this is going to be the problem, yet am I, I'm not alone here. We end up doing the very thing, and somehow, like I'm even telling myself, 
Don't yell. Don't disrespect. Don't go passive aggressive. Like we tell ourselves those things, but somehow we can't. So my question to you is why? Why is it? We know that digging in is not gonna get us closer to a solution, yet we dig in. We know we should open, we dig in. We know that avoiding the other person and just waiting for them, that's not going to solve it. We know we should approach them, not avoid them. We know we should stop, like I talked about, lecturing and convincing. We know we should focus on connecting. We know it. But why can't we do it? Why is it we can be in the middle of a tense situation and tell ourselves, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and then there we go and we did it. Why? Well, the answer is, is because when it comes to relationships, there's more, than, there's more than meets the eye. It's not just intellectual, it's emotional. And you know that emotions, when emotions are involved, not against emotions, I'm not saying they're bad, but what I'm saying is when it comes to resolving conflict in relationships, emotions cloud our thinking. Emotions impair our ability to make sound and wise decisions. For example, you come home from work, you had a rough day at the office, you are frustrated with your boss, you're frustrated with your coworkers, you just, you are, fr you're coming home frustrated and you walk into the house and it's the same house as it was that you left in the morning and the same house you walked into yesterday. But all of a sudden now, the mess, the shoes, the skateboard, the, 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 the plates, the dishes, all them plates was there when you left yesterday, you didn't say anything. All the mess was there that it, you didn't say anything. You didn't care. So the situation is the same. The difference is you, your emotional state. Come on. You're driving on the road. You're over there on the beltway. You're on 66 and you're driving and someone cuts you off. And some days, may God help that person. You are going to tailgate them and you're going to find them and their children and make sure they understand the error that they made. And some days, you're going to pray for them. Bless their, their heart, God. Bless them. They must. What's the difference? What's the difference? The difference is them. The difference is me. The difference is my emotional state. Emotions color how we see situations. Emotions color how we see situations. And that's why we need to understand them. Again, some of us are more emotional than others. And it's very, some of you are sitting there saying, oh, here comes Father Anthony. He's an emotionless guy. He's going to just tell us emotions are bad. I'm not going to say they're bad. Created by God, so I can't say they're bad. But what I will say is, if you don't understand their role in affecting your relationships, you're in trouble. We need to understand. Proverbs 16, verse 32 says this. It says, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. You understand what, what, what King Solomon is saying? He's saying the mighty, the strong. No, the one who's really strong, the one who can control his emotions. The one who can rule his spirit, that's a great expression. Rules his spirit means in control of his emotions. That one is better than one who takes a city. And I'll say it this way. If you want to be successful in relationships, if you want to have no regrets when all is said and done, you must learn to watch what I'm, I'm going to use my words carefully right here. To not only control, but to overcome your emotions. You must learn, if you want to be successful relationally, to control and overcome your emotions. Now, for those of you who are saying how, that's impossible. It's impossible if you're an animal. Yes. But we as human beings, we're not animals. Animals 
have no step between emotion and action. If an animal is hungry, it eats. If an animal is thirsty, it drinks. If an animal uh, is scared, it runs. An animal just responds to its emotion. But that's not us. We're not animals. We can think. We can choose to exert control over the actions that we do. We are not just, you know, just like, again, like an animal just kind of tossed to and fro. But you know what? You know what our biggest problem is? Our problem is the way we speak about ourselves. We speak about ourselves in a very low way because we say things like as follows. She makes me so mad. She makes me so mad. He drives me crazy. They left me no choice. What we are doing when we say that, we're shooting ourselves in the foot because what we are saying is we have no control. It's not me. Like, I'm not mad. She made me mad. So it's not my fault. It's her fault because she made me mad. Like, it's not me that like, I had choices, but she took away all my choices. He get, left me no choice. This is very important. This verse says you do have a choice. Nobody can make you mad. You're not a dog. Nobody can give you no control over your response. You're not a slave. You have free will. And if you want to win at relationships, you need to learn this, that either you will control your emotions or your emotions will control you. That's it. If you want to be successful in relationships, either you learn how to control your emotions or I promise you, your emotions will control you. And they won't take you to a good place. For example, let's do a hypothetical situation. Let's say you have a, 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 a man. Let's say his name is George. Okay, and George works hard. And George takes care of his family. George, though, one, his one thing, he likes to watch football on Sundays. That's all the guy likes. Okay? Is there a problem? Anyone have a problem watching football? Like, it's not a big deal. So George works hard all week. He goes to church on Sunday because he's a good young man. He likes to come home and watch football on Sundays. One particular Sunday, he's watching football on the couch with his feet up. The place is messy around him. Okay, let's say maybe it was Super Bowl Sunday or something like that. He made a mess and it's just a mess all around. And then George's mother-in-law walks in. And she doesn't say a word. She just walks inside the house, looks at George, looks at the mess, and starts tidying up and starts cleaning up all around him. And then she walks out the door. And then George goes to his wife when she comes home and says, I hate your mother. She drives me crazy. She does everything she can to get on my nerves. You will not believe what she did to me today. What's the problem here? Is the problem the mother? Is the problem, is the mother's, let's, let's even be more specific. Is it the mother's action, the mother-in-law, sorry. Is it the mother-in-law's action that drove George crazy? Is the act of cleaning the house something that George is morally opposed to? If it was George's wife cleaning the house, he would celebrate. He would, he would say, thank you so much. He would appreciate it. So clearly the act of cleaning is not a bad act. Okay, so you know what? It was her attitude. It was her attitude that she was cleaning. It was her attitude. Well, you don't know what her attitude is. She didn't say anything. She just looked at you. Maybe 
Her attitude was, I don't want to disturb him. That's why she didn't say a word. Maybe that was her attitude. But you're guessing. Where's his, his problem really coming from? Where's his strong reaction really coming from? Is it from her? Is it from her action? Is it from her attitude? Or is there more to the story? We control our emotions. This is so important. I'm telling you, if you get this, we control our emotions by controlling our stories. The problem with George was not the mother-in-law. It was not her action. It was not her attitude. It was not her look. It was his story. He told himself a story. The second she started cleaning, the second she, maybe the second she walked in the house, he told himself a story. And as soon as he told that story, it led to an emotion. And as soon as that emotion was there, his anger was inevitable because of the story that he told himself. Emotions don't just happen. Sometimes we think of it like emotions are like, like, like a fog. Like it just, all of a sudden, I got angry. Or all of a sudden, I got... Fr emotions don't land on us. Emotions come from the things that we tell ourselves and the stories that we tell ourselves about other people's motives or about why other people did what they did. That's why, as I said earlier, the same action can have two different responses from us based on the story that we tell us. So again, back to that example. You're driving on the road, someone cuts you off. In an instant, in a split second, you tell yourself a story. And that story leads to your emotion. So you may tell yourself a story. Maybe uh, he's probably got a pregnant wife in the back seat. That's why he cut me off. Because the lady's pregnant. She looked pregnant, okay? She's pregnant. She's probably having a baby. That's why he cut me off like that. And if you tell yourself that story, you say, God bless that person. Versus you tell yourself a story, that jerk, that rude, he's inconsiderate, he's probably that guy from the work that I hate, he's probably his cousin, he looked like him, or he's a rich guy, or he's a snob. You tell yourself a story. And the second you tell yourself a story, it leads to an emotion. You're upset at your friend. I'm upset at my friend. Why are you upset at your friend? Because my friend laughed at me. My friend told this joke, and, 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 it, 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 and everyone was laughing at me. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Do you always get upset when people laugh at you? Do you always get upset when your friend tells a joke about you? Or is it oftentimes that you tell jokes about yourselves and other people tell jokes about you all the time and this is kind of the culture that you kind of have with your friends and it's not that big a deal, but all of a sudden when he did it, then all of a sudden it was different. Why? Because you told yourself a story. You told yourself a story that he doesn't respect me. Or you told yourself a story that he's trying to get back at me for whatever it was. It's the story. It's not the action. It's the story. Some of the people in this room, no doubt. The people watching in Arlington there, no doubt about you guys, okay? The nicest people on the planet. And there's certain people, if I mention your name, they'll say, oh, that person is so kind. That person is so sweet. That person is the most humble person on the planet. But then there's other people. May God have mercy on their soul. If they looked at you the wrong way, or they said the wrong thing, or God forbid, they parked too close to you in the parking lot and scratched your car. What's the problem? Is the problem, are we schizophrenic? Do we have personality disorders? That we're one way in front of the other, one way in front of another person? Or is it that there's more to the story? William Shakespeare said this. He said, nothing in this world is, so, is good or bad, but thinking makes it so. Nothing in this world is good or bad, but thinking makes it so. 
Bible says it a slightly different way. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7. King Solomon says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart. So what you think in your heart, that's what we become. She's so rude. You respond that way. He's so kind. Respond that way. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. In other words, here's what I want to say. Stories are what we tell ourselves after an action has taken place. Stories are what we tell ourselves after an action has taken place. It's the meaning we add to it. It's the motivation that we add to it. And that makes all the difference in how we feel. Your wife said something. On the surface, doesn't seem that bad. Your reaction, because you told yourself a story. When she said that, it's because she thinks I'm an idiot. That's why she said that. It's not what she said. It's a story. Friend didn't show up at your birthday party or whatever event. And you're upset and you're furious. Why? Other people didn't show up? No, because when my friend didn't show up, that's his way of saying that I don't care about you and I don't want to be your friend. We think that we have no control over how we feel, but the truth of the matter is the stories that we tell ourselves, we have much more control than we realize. I want to show you this way in a picture format. Is that in life, okay, all this happens in a split second, but follow me here. You make an observation, something happened, you heard something, you saw something, something happened, you observe it. In an instant, you tell yourself a story about why it happened. That story leads to a feeling, and that feeling leads to an action. So like I said, so-and-so didn't show up at your party, or so-and-so responded saying, unable to make it. In an instant, you tell yourself a story about what it is, the reason why, or what they really meant, and that story leads to an emotion, the emotion leads to an action. I've had people, okay, We've all been on the end of this, okay? And I, I, I personally, like I remember, there was one time, this is a long time ago, I, I, I tend, you know, when I'm, I tend to be kind of focused, and sometimes when I'm focused, I don't see everything always around me. And I remember one time, a young lady came to me and said, Father Anthony, are you upset at me? And I said, no, of course I'm not upset at you. Why would you say I'm upset at you? And she said, because on Sunday, and she kept asking me, and I said, no, no, no. She said, on Sunday, you walked right by me and didn't say hello. So what happened is I walked right by her didn't say hello, and she told herself a story. And the story is that Father Anthony is ignoring me, or Father Anthony doesn't care, whatever it may be. Another person, who I'm, I, I'm, sure, this hap- I'm sure it happens all the time, told himself the same story. One time a person came to me and said, Father Anthony, are you doing okay? And I said, yeah, I'm fine, why? They said, you know, you seem like you got a lot on your plate these days, or maybe you're busy, or you know, like anything I can take off your plate. I said, no, I really appreciate that, I'm good, why? They said, because you walked right by me in church and you didn't say hello. So I thought maybe, you know, you got too much on your... You see the story, the same action. I walked by two people, same action. One told himself a story, so they got upset. Another told them told a story that I'm, 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 I'm busy. So they were compassionate. It's the same action. It's the story that we tell ourselves. And what I want to say is this. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go a little... I'm going to poke a little bit here and pry and I'm going to maybe meddle inside some deep spaces here. Maybe, maybe, maybe the stories that we tell ourselves, maybe we're wrong. Like, you know, the we're so sure. Like when someone says otherwise, no, you don't know. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe the problem is us. Maybe we've learned over time because it's a learned behavior. We've learned to tell ourselves certain stories, but I believe there's hope. Because I believe the same way we learn to tell a negative story, we can relearn. We can unlearn and relearn how to tell positive stories. And it usually happens. I'm going to give you one question to ask 
And I promise you, if you are committed to asking this question, it will help you tremendously in, in, in changing the stories that are inside you. Are you ready for the question? This is a life-changing question, a relationship-changing question if you can ingrain it into your repertoire when it comes to relationships. You ready for the question? The question is this. Is there a plausible reason why an intelligent, caring, and decent person would do this? That's the question you ask yourself. Something happens. Your wife says, your mother-in-law says, whatever it is. Before you jump to conclusions, is there a plausible reason why an intelligent, caring, and decent person would do this? Or is it they're evil? They're Satan. They're from the devil. Let's assume they're not. Is there a plausible reason why a decent person would do it? A long time ago, I read a book. It's called The One Thing You Need to Know. Highly recommended. It's not a spiritual book. It's a book about like leadership lessons and things like that. It's by a guy named Marcus Buckingham. And the whole point of this book, One Thing You Need to Know, was that in every area, in every area of life, find the most important principle and be hyper-focused on that. Okay, so in every area of life, and he talks about relationships, specifically about marriage. That's what I'll focus on right here, is what is the one thing you need to know to be successful? There's like 10 principles. Okay, there's, there's 100 principles about being successful in marriage. 100 principles. But which is the one the most bang for the buck? Which is the one that if I go laser hyper-focused on this one will put me in the best position? That's the whole premise of his book. And he goes through different areas of leadership and business and things like that. But let's talk about relationships. And he talks specifically about marriage. He did a study on 100 couples over 10 plus years. So it was a very comprehensive study. And he wanted to study, what is it? What is the one thing that leads to happiness in marriage more than anything else? What is the one thing? Of course, there's so many different things that we need, but what is like the most important criteria that will lead to successful marriages? And he came up with a hypothesis. And his hypothesis was based on the unhappy couples. Okay, so he asked all these couples to like rank their happiness over the course of, like I said, 10 years. I won't get into all the details. But the unhappy couples, what he saw, for the most part, didn't understand each other. They didn't value each other's strengths and differences. They didn't see how they were there for to complement each other. They just saw them as contradictory. So because of that, follow me here. He assumed, he assumed that the couples that were the happiest were those who understood each other the best. Common sense. If the ones who were unhappiest understood each other the least, the ones who were happiest understood each other the most. Logic. His conclusion, quote, was the exact opposite. Here's the quote, sorry, that wasn't the quote. His conclusion was the exact opposite. Quote, his conclusion was so, my conclusion was so deeply counterintuitive that initially most will have difficulty absorbing it. His conclusion was actually not that the couples who were happiest knew each other the best. Actually, they had the most unrealistic view of each other. Let me explain. He did a survey. Okay, and in the survey, it was like, okay, uh, husbands, Give yourself a score on how kind you are and how patient you are and how compassionate, whatever, whatever, like all these virtues. Give yourself a score, one through 10. And then he would go to the wives and say, give your husband a score on those same characteristics. How kind is he? How compassionate is he? How, how, how patient is he? And then vice versa. Wives, give yourself a score on these. Husbands, give your wife a score on those same virtues. Did you know that the couples that were the happiest were the ones where above more than anything else, 
the couples rated each other higher on those virtues than they rated themselves. Meaning what? Meaning the husband said, yeah, on patience, I'm a five. The wife said, on patience, he's actually a seven. The, the wife would say, yeah, on compassion, I'm not that good. I'm only like a four. And the husband says, on compassion, no, my wife is an eight. The couples that were the happiest were actually the ones that didn't have the most realistic view. They were the ones who had the most unrealistic view of each other. And you're sitting there saying, Father Anthony, you're talking crazy talk. Let me tell you what the guy said. Again, it's not a, it's not a spiritual book. It's not a marriage book. It's a book about, it's just studies. It's just science right here. And he says this, in the happiest couples, the wife rated the husband more positively than he did on every single quality. Again, in the happiest couples, the wife rated the husband more positively than he did on every single quality. It goes for husband and wife, but he's talking specifically about the wife here. For some reason, the wife in a highly rewarding relationship consistently credited her husband with qualities that he didn't think he had. Are you following what that says? The husband is saying, I'm like a five at best. And the wife is like, no, my husband is like a seven or an eight. She consistently viewed him higher than he was. Those are the happiest couples. He goes on. And so over time, listen to the words he uses. My positive illusions... My positive illusions, I'm going to come back to the word illusion because it sounds to me like story. My positive illusions create an upward spiral of love. My illusions give me conviction. My conviction leads to security. My security fosters intimacy. My intimacy reinforces love. You get what he's saying? He's saying that what we tell ourselves about others influences how we feel about them. And how we feel ultimately determines how we act towards them. And he's saying those that are the happiest in life tell themselves stories about others that they may not even be true, but what they are is they're generous. And you say to yourself, Father Anthony, you're talking crazy talk right now. You don't know how crazy my husband, you don't know my boss, you don't know my kids, you don't know my husband, you know, like you're, you're crazy talk. Well, let me tell you, let me prove to you that you already do this. Let me prove to you that you already do this. Because if you're married and you're saying, I don't know how anyone can do this with their spouse, you already did it. Because that's why you're married to them. Because you told yourself a story when you were dating and other people were like, he's not that great. You're like, no, he's the greatest. Look at his eyes. Look at his ears. Look at his whatever. People around you are like, nah. But you're like, no, you saw him like this. And guys, same thing. When, when you were dating her, she's the same person. She didn't change. She's not any more like her mother or less like her mother than she was when you were dating. But oh, when you were dating, it was cute. It was fun. Somebody cares about me. Somehow they cared about me and dating turned out nagging me when we're married. Somehow, the, the, the impatient, he, when we were dating, he wasn't impatient. He was, he, was, he was spontaneous. That's what it was when we were dating, right? That's what it was. Keeps going. He says, putting these conclusions together, this controlling insight can serve as the one thing you need to know about happy marriage. Find the most generous explanation for each other's behavior and believe it. And he's talking about marriage, so I'm talking about all relationships. Find the most generous explanation of each other's behavior and do what? And believe it. So he's not impatient. He's just very focused. She's not insensitive. She's just honest. He's not bald. He just got a good luck charm on the top of his head. <laughs> I know it sounds delusional. But I'm telling you, the ones who are succeed in relationships, 
These are the ones who are able to see other people's weaknesses, to see other people's flaws, and to give the most generous explanation possible. And in case you're saying, this is crazy, you know who else said the same thing? St. Paul said the exact same thing in a slightly different way. A couple weeks ago, we were looking at Romans chapter 12. That's the passage that where our theme verse from Romans 12. Romans 12 is all about relationships. It's all about different ways that you be successful and be Christ-like in relationships. Let me show you some of the verses from Romans 12. Let love be without hypocrisy. Bless those who persecute you. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Repay no one evil for evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12 is all St. Paul saying, you got to go above and beyond when it comes to relationship. You got to be Christ-like. And he gives all these examples. But do you know what comes at the very beginning of Romans 12, which sets the foundation for all of these things? Where St. Paul is saying, if, if you're going to do this, if you're going to rejoice with those who rejoice, if you're going to bless those who curse you, if you're going to love without hypocrisy, then you need to do Romans 12 too, which is the foundation, which is do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you hear what St. Paul is saying? Saying if you're going to fulfill all those commandments, it starts here. It starts with your stories. It starts with changing the stories that you tell yourself. Because as long as you tell yourself that story, as long as you're unwilling to be generous with your explanation, you're never going to be able to love. You're never going to be able to forgive. You're never going to be able to be kind. You're never. Because the stories that you keep shooting yourself in the foot with. So again, we are going to give up our stories. This is our relationship hack for the week. We are going to... There we go. Can you hear me now? Okay, very good. The microphone, when, I know, when he sees me getting excited, it gets excited too. The question we're going to ask ourselves is this. Is there a plausible reason why an intelligent, caring, and decent person would do this? We're going to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And we are going to, when we're tempted to judge, get angry, when those stories start popping out, we're going to ask ourselves, is there a reason, a plausible reason, why a decent, intelligent, caring person would do this? And let me tell you again how I know that you know how to do this. Because you do it actually every day. Do you know who you do it for? You do it for yourself. You're late to work. You're late to a meeting. You're late to an event. It's because you know what? You're being responsible with your other commitments. And you want to be diligent and not leave the house until you're responsible. The other person? Selfish. They only care about themselves. You gave yourself a plausible reason because you're a caring, you're an intelligent, you're a decent person. So of course you're not selfish. You gave yourself that excuse. A friend doesn't ask about you. They're selfish. They're, they're uncaring. You don't ask about someone else, I'm giving them space. Just giving them space. Can we do this? You change the question. Must we do this? The answer is yes. We must learn how to do this to ask this question. Next time your husband said he'd be home by 6, and it's 6.20 and he's still not home, before you jump to conclusions, you ask yourself this question. Is there a plausible reason why an intelligent, caring, and decent person would do it? Or is the only possible reason he doesn't love my family. He doesn't love the family. He doesn't love me. He doesn't love the kids. I married the wrong person. My mother-in-law was right. She was right. That's the only explanation. Or is there a plausible reason 
why an intelligent, caring, and decent person might be 20 minutes late to an event. Your boss passes you up for that promotion. And right in your mind, it's because he's sexist. It's because I'm a woman, he's sexist, he's chauvinist, and, and all this stuff. Okay. But is there a plausible reason why you wouldn't get that promotion? Is there a plausible reason why an intelligent, caring, and decent person would do this? Maybe the fact that the last time he gave you a project, you were 10 days late for the deadline. And in fact, the reason you were 10 days late is because you decided to take a trip and go out of town right before the deadline when you knew it needed to be done. So is there a plausible reason? What I want to say is, let's get rid of the Hollywood. Get rid of the Hollywood. You know how Hollywood is, right? Every Hollywood story has a good guy and a bad guy, a victim and a villain. And once you set the roles, this is a bad guy. Once you set a role, this is a good guy, nothing he or she does can ever be bad in the movie. And once you set a, this is the bad guy, the villain, nothing he or she does can ever be good. And the reason why we like to cast people as villains, because you know what happens in a movie when you have a villain? You can do whatever you want and no one will have compassion on that villain. It's never wrong to gossip about the villain. It's never wrong to attack the villain. It's never wrong to even kill the villain. Nobody gets upset when that happens. He deserves it. So that's what we do. We label our boss as a villain. We label our spouse as a villain. We label our, our, label our mother-in-law as a villain. Because once we put the label villain on them, justify whatever behavior you want. Say what you want, do what you want. It's all justifiable because they're the bad guy. Nobody cares. Nobody has sympathy for the bad guy. But there is one person who has sympathy for that bad guy. You know who it is? Jesus said this in Matthew 9, 36. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Why? Because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. See what Jesus did there? He told a story. He told himself a story. And his story was, I feel bad for those guys. They're sheep without a shepherd. Now, I don't want to get into this passage and the people, but I just want to say this. Trust me on this one from experience. Trust me. And I think if you look in your life, you'll probably find a similar story. But I can speak very, very clearly on this one. It is always better. It is always better from experience to err on the side of being too generous with my explanation versus too judgmental with it. It is always better to err on the side. I would rather give too much compassion. I would rather give too much generous of an explanation and be wrong versus the opposite. And you know why I can say that? Because I've been both. I've been on both sides of it. I remember one time early on in my priesthood, there was a certain person who didn't like me. I know, it's, it's hard to believe. Okay? It's really, really hard. Like, I still to this day can't imagine. The person didn't like me. He actually it didn't, it didn't have anything against me, but he was upset at, at a situation with the church, and you know how some people, they just like to... So anyway, so I reached out to this person, and I, because I didn't know we had a problem with each other, and I said, you know, like something or other, and he was kind of rude back to me. I didn't take it rudely. I just took it as like, oh, you know, he's not able to do that. And then I think I said, you know, like, I want to come see you. Like, maybe, you know, like, I'll come visit you or something like that. And he said, okay, he'll get back to me. And he never got back to me. And I think, like, I followed up, like, a month later. And he was like, oh, it's just busy. And, like, something like that. And I took it like, you know, wow, he must really be busy. And I remember telling this to my senior priest. and told him the story. And he was very upset. 
And he's like, he's being very rude to you. And he's disrespecting. I'm like, no, no, no. He's just really busy. And he's like, Father Anthony, when, like, it's been like two or three months. I'm like, no, but it's just been a busy time. And, just a bit, and I'm saying all these things. And he told me, no, he said this. And actually, I know in that meantime this. And I know this and this and that. And then all of a sudden, what happened? I was like, that no good son of a. <laughs> and I got myself very angry. I was happier the day before, before I knew. I was sleeping in peace. I was like, you know, skipping around, you know, like everybody loves me and I was best friends. And I'm best friends with a guy who, doesn't, who hates my guts. But I'm happy as a clam. And I've been on the other side. I don't want to tell those stories because those are not good stories. Where you judge someone and you judge their motivation. And you just know they are. And then you find out that they are. And I'm telling you, if I go to my grave and God says, you know, Father Anthony, you are too generous. You are too compassionate. You gave too much benefit of the doubt. You were just too, too much with that. I'll sleep easy tonight if that's my problem. Because I don't want the other problem. And neither do you. We all have a story. We all have a story. We all have a story that we tell ourselves. And I'm telling you, your story is not the same as reality. There are very few people in this world who are evil. There are very few monsters in this world. I'm not saying there's none, but there are very few of them. Your spouse isn't one of them. Your kids are not Satan's children. Your boss is not, like, we all know someone who every boss they've ever had is chauvinist. Every professor they've ever had is racist. Every friend they ever had doesn't care. Every, like, every, it can't. There's not that many evil people in the world. The problem may not be them. The problem may be our story. Last verse, I want to leave you with this. Jesus, Luke 23, verse 34, hung on the cross. And he said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. And every time I look at this verse, and every time we read it during Holy Week on Good Friday, he's hanging there. They're spitting. They're mocking. They said, we know you're innocent, but we're going to kill you anyway. And he says, forgive them. They do not know what they do. I want to raise my hand and say, Yes, they do know what they do. They know exactly what they're doing. But I'm thankful that my Savior, that my Savior says the same thing about me and you. He doesn't smite us down with the lightning, even though we deserve it. He looks at us, and he says, forgive them. They know not what they do. They're sheep without a shepherd. And some of the angels up there must be like, no, they're no good okay. They didn't mean it. They did their best. It's been a rough day. And now he challenges us to do the same thing. We're going to give up our stories. And we're going to give the most generous explanation that we can. Because that's what our Savior does for us. And that's what he commands us to do for each other. And if that doesn't work, if that doesn't work, we still have one more relationship hack to go, which we're going to look at next week. But I'm telling you, the one we're going to look at next week, that's one of those, like, in case of emergency, like, covered with the glass, like, break only in case of emergency. We're better off if we can solve it right here. Because some of us, we don't want to get to there. We're going to do our best to give up our old stories and replace them with generous explanations and stand for a prayer.
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the stories that you tell about us. That you see us, Lord, as sheep without a shepherd, and you pray for our forgiveness, even though you know and we know, Lord, that we don't deserve it. Lord, help us, especially those of us who really struggle here, Lord, with some deep-seated stories that we've been telling ourselves for years. Help us, Lord, to uproot them and to give generous explanations for others and their behavior. And we know, Lord, that when we do that, we start to live a more peaceful and joy-filled life. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray, thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the